Are you tired of nodding along at parties to conversations you really don't understand? Make it make sense with the KYW News Radio in depth podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. What do you feel is the most prestigious award to you? Well, I mean, in terms of what I think when I hear someone has won this award, it seems like the highest level of achievement in life. I think probably Nobel Prizes. There are so many different ones, right? That seems like those are the people who are like doing real good things for the world. The best of the best, generally speaking. I might have to go the Marconis, the Ambies for podcasting. For any writer of any sort, a Pulitzer Prize is right there at the top of the list of things you want to have your name listed for. Once I got my senses about me, I called my mom and talked to her. It still feels very overwhelming and kind of surreal, but I'm very happy. That's South Philadelphia playwright James Imes, the winner of the 2022 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. We'll talk about him today. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Serka. I'm Brian Seltzer. And probably the biggest news in Philadelphia theater this week is that James won a Pulitzer for his play Fat Ham, which was workshopped and developed here in the city. And KYW's Justin Udo spoke with James about the award, and we'll check in with Justin a little bit later on. But the Tony Awards were also announced this week, so it's a big week in theater news, especially in Philly. We've got some representation there, too. The Kimmel Cultural Campus is nominated as a producer for Company, which is a Sondheim show that's been revived this year, nominated for Best Revival of a Musical. Sabrina, without question, you would be the most appropriate person to ask this question to. What goes into producing a show? I mean, I, I obviously have a sense of what goes into production, like let's say for a podcast, but what are the different things that a producer of a show does? Very good question. I feel like in almost any field, producer is just this like catch-all term that is very poorly defined. I can't answer that question myself sometimes. So I talked with Frances Egler. She is the Senior Director of Programming and Presentations at the Kimmel Cultural Campus. She's also a Tony voter, so she gave me all of the behind-the-scenes info on this. So first of all, got to start with congratulations on a Tony nomination. That's pretty amazing. Exciting. Thank you very much. Yeah. So what exactly was the Kimmel Cultural Campus's involvement here? Well, we're a member of a consortium of uh, presenters called the Independent Presenters Network. And these are presenters in the way that they we all book touring Broadway shows. So what a producer um, generally the producers in New York who are the primary, who are raising the money to get the shows, uh, to work with the artistic team and to get the shows cast, to get a theater on Broadway, sort of basically all that, uh, all that important stuff. And then the next, next aspect is, that, okay, well, the show is doing great or the show really has some potential. We'd like to make sure that it not only start, opens on Broadway, but then gets out onto, um, onto, on tour because uh, a tour basically starts and it has weekly running costs. And then it has what they call amortized costs of just starting up like rehearsal and building the sets. So while we're always looking for the best in touring Broadway, we're also making sure that there's going to be enough touring Broadway basically out there. And so what we did was that uh, every two or three years, every two years or so, we invest in a Broadway show. It's not a, it's a, it's a small part of it, but it's basically, um, you'll see a listing for the independent presenters network. And as part of that, uh, as part of that consortium, we are, that's how we are a producer. Got it. So the idea is the Kimmel kind of invests in these shows to shore up the fact that it'll tour and and come through, hopefully. Yeah, that it'll open. Center. I mean, because when we're initially investing, most of the investing is primarily in a Broadway production. Like the investment in company is right. in this Broadway production. 
75% of the shows on Broadway don't break even. Mm. Um, they basically open and they run for a certain amount of time and then they close and they rarely make a profit. So if the thing is, if everything was, was, uh, would just open and close and we wouldn't have any touring Broadway at all. So let's talk a little bit about the show company for those who might not know it. Give us a little bit of uh, what's it about? What's uh, the deal with this revival? Cause this isn't a brand new show. No, uh, this was actually written. It was one of the first shows that Stephen Sondheim, who sadly passed away last year, um, that he called his own score. He had written for he'd written West Side Story and other musicals, but this was a because he wrote the, the the music and lyrics. This was one of the first ones he did, and he felt this was really his statement of uh, his best statement of his creativity. And it's uh, the original was there was a man named Bobby, and he was thirty five, and this was in the early seventies, so everyone was appalled that he wasn't married with children. <laughs> so he it's basically him visiting and sort of just experiencing all his married friends. And sort of at the end, committing to being alive, which is the big ultimate number, uh, the big final number and making and, you know, working to make that connection. So what uh, the producers of this version of it, uh, Ben Harper and Marion Elliott, Marion Elliott is a Tony Award winning director. She's a really visionary British director. So they came up with the idea that, you know, it's it's current day. But, you know, having a single 35 year old guy, it's sort of like not the same sort of social resonance. So what they did was that they, you know, thought about it and they came up with the idea that um, Bobby would be not with a Y, but with an I, be a woman. It sort of has a lot of these elements of her with her ticking time, ticking clock, because as opposed to even men getting married later, you know, they're not facing the same just biological priorities right. that women are. And so it, it flips it and it flips some of the, the couples differently. Uh, the uh, There's a, there used to be a couple named uh, Paul and Amy. And now Amy is Jamie and it's two men. It's fun to be able to sort of, it's just reconceived that way. And it's been nominated for a lot of Tonys, received a lot of acclaim when it opened. It was one of the shows that was supposed to open. Um, it was supposed to open on Sondheim's 90th birthday in March of 2020. And then that didn't happen. Right. And then it finally opened in November of 2020, two weeks after he had actually passed away. And this production is the last production of his work that he was able to attend. So yeah. it's uh, has a lot of resonance and it's just, you know, has Patti LuPone, the, the queen of Broadway and it, and she's not Tony nominated and just a lot of other great performances. And it, it's just, it's taking what's a classic that a lot of people will have seen and then just reinterpreting it, but not to the point that it's unrecognizable. It's just sort of, you know, remaking this, this, this uh, wonderful show. Yeah. Super relatable. And I was going to yeah, ask about, exactly. I was going to ask about that too. The whole Sondheim just, Sondheim. Yeah. And the fact that he did pass away right before this show finally opened, if you were able to see kind of the the people involved, the cast, the crew, um, mm-hmm. like how did that affect the production? Obviously, it must have, whether it's just an emotional reflection or, well, you know, I or just changing it how this, it hits audiences, um, too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it gives it like on the opening night, uh, they had a picture of 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 him on the on the on the on the uh on the cover of the playbill they didn't have a picture of they usually they had the logo or the picture of the company of the show and i think it's it's in real loving tribute to him because he wasn't all about musical theater staying as sort of this monolithic unchanging art form it's like it has to be this it has to be this it has to be this he was all about how do you change it how does it evolve how does it you know feed you emotionally but also be contemporary and I think this show in particular, this production answers so many of those questions so, so well that I, I think they, I mean, 
you know, the, the company, you know, when he passed away, the company of company, there, there were so many on their social media posts and talking to the producers of just feeling so that they were so lucky to be able to connect with him and sort of have him see it. And so I think they really feel like they, uh, they're doing a service to a real, you know, a, a master of, of musical theater and of the arts and just using a reinterpretation that um, he was, he did like and was proud of and that they're keeping, you know, keeping his legacy alive. Mm-hmm. You're also a Tony Award voter, which yes, I am. is pretty cool. What What Thank is you. the process like? <laughs> Let's go from like step one of nominating a show all the way through has the vote happened and we're just keeping it secret or do you vote sometime between now and June? Well, the process is um, every year we're uh, the, the, I'm a member because of the Kimmel Center's role and how much touring Broadway it presents. So then I'm eligible to vote and uh, I am invited to see, uh, I, I, to see every show that opens on Broadway during the year, every single show, but I, um, the voters are not nominated. There's a separate panel of, I think, this year, it's been a, a bit jumbled just because of COVID, because right. some of the nominators sort of got COVID and they couldn't see it. So it's been a little bit of a, you know, just like everything with COVID, everything's you know mess and people <laughs> adapt and move on. But so what the nominators see the show when the nominations were announced on Monday, um, which is already delayed a week because of COVID cancellations and postponements, um, that they announced in all the categories and then it's up to what I've been doing and what the voters do throughout the season is that we electronically register what shows we've seen. We request the tickets, then we go, and then we say, we saw the show on this day, but uh, no, the ballots haven't even been distributed yet. Hmm. And like I said, it, 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 there's a, there's, it's all done via the web. And then once um, you fill in, and if you haven't seen all the, um, all the uh, shows in a category or all the performances in a category, you can't vote. So if I had missed, you know, one of the best musicals or one of the uh, um, best revival of a play, if I had missed any of those, I just, I'm not, I can't vote in those categories. Yeah. So it yeah, went it down from about 800 is the total, but not everyone is going to be able to see everything. So there's a few hundred people that, that decided as opposed to like the Academy Awards in which there are thousands of, of right. voters. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask too about the kind of the crop of, of uh, shows that are out there this year, because the last Tonys had a pretty limited selection because everything just stopped in COVID. So yeah. how do you feel about what about the, the nominees this year? You know, do you think that it's back with a with a good crop of options out there and new show? Or do you feel like the shows that opened were still affected and were still trickling back in because of COVID? Oh, I think this year is an incredible year. I, I'm really excited about it beyond sort of our involvement in company there are, uh, I mean, you know, just super fun revivals of Music Man and, and uh, but then the new musicals that are out are so just fascinating and, you know, fun and deeply heartfelt. There's uh, Six Musical, which is a deceptively simple, it's the Six Wives of Henry VIII as a girl group. There were other, like uh, Girl from the North Country. I mean, that's another show by uh, Irish playwright um, and, and writer Connor McPherson taking the Bob Dylan sound uh, songbook and creating this world of a of a few days uh, in a boarding house in Duluth, Minnesota. And it's just, you know, it's this incredible just reinterpretation of his music, but telling this story of this, you know, the challenges during the Great Depression in the city. And, you know, that's another best musical. There's a great new musical from Michael R. Jackson called uh, A Strange Loop, a very autobiographical, self-referential show about his experience 
as a, as he calls himself a fat black queer man, but sort of his <laughs> talking about like, and then, uh, you know, it's this whole self-referential thing that he does with, about when he, as a graduate of NYU, was an usher at um, uh, the Lion King and how he used that time to try and write, but it's all taking place in his head about all the doubts he has of himself mm-hmm. and in his community and in the world. And it's just, it's, it's incredible. And the star of that show is a 23 year old young man named uh, Jaquel Spivey. And he graduated from college last fall. He's tw- and, and this is his wow. first professional role. Yeah. It's a, it's a really great season. There's so many great performances, you know, we're just sort of you know, lucky to be able to see a lot of it. Do you mm-hmm. happen to know if there are any other Philadelphia connections in the, for, from the, or if there are any other Tony nominees who have Philadelphia ties? Jesse Williams, who's in, who was nominated for Best Featured Actor in a play for the play Take Me Out um, of Grey's Anatomy and um, uh, many other things. He's actually a Temple grad and taught in the Philadelphia public schools. Um, he's I, he's born elsewhere, but he definitely has some still strong Philly ties. Yeah, love that. Do you yeah. get, as a voter, do you get any sense of what the plans for the ceremony are because I have to imagine this is the 75th Tony Awards Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's going to be the first year back off of the pandemic mess. I feel like, I don't know, if it were me planning it, I would make a big deal of this. Oh, I think, I mean, what's great about this year is that they've already committed to sort of like, you know, they're going to have the honoring the past, honoring the great spectacle that is the Tonys, but Ariana DeBose is the host, the Oscar award winner. And, you know, who's been in so many great shows. She's in, if you've ever seen Hamilton, um, uh, the the streaming version, she's the bullet. She's the one who goes across the stage. But I mean, she's incredible. Uh, she's hosting. So I think they're making a commitment to definitely honoring the past, but sort of as shows like, you know, a, a Strange Loop and Six are, are they're pushing Broadway in a whole new, uh, really awesome direction. And I, I think it'll be a balance of those. Two. I don't, I get to go next month. Uh, I We decided to, we don't usually go, but we're going to go and honor because we have this connection to a company. And so we, we bought some tickets and we'll be sitting at Radio City and enjoying it with you. <laughs> well, congrats again. Uh, Thank you. Good, I don't know if I should say good luck or break a leg when it comes to winning an award. It's not actually uh, performing. I think it's good luck for the award, break a leg for on for stage. performance. But okay. we'll take anything. We'll take anything. <laughs> All of the above. Yeah. Congratulations once again to the Camel Cultural Campus for their nomination. And, you know, Francis was also telling me that actually... Sydney DuPont, who was nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in a Featured Role in a Musical for the musical Paradise Square, is a Kappa grad. He's from here, too. So congratulations to all the Philly-associated nominees. Sydney DuPont, Jesse Williams, Kimmel Cultural Campus, we are rooting for you. In a minute, we're going to talk about another big award the Philadelphia theater scene brought in this week, a Pulitzer Prize for writer James Ives. Justin Udo will tell us about that and how it inspired Justin's Udo haiku this week. We'll have that coming up after this. I'm Jay. I'm Sabrina. I'm Brian. And the Tonys may be the biggest theater award that anybody knows, but those nominations kind of got overshadowed here in the city this week by James Imes, who won a Pulitzer Prize for drama. Jay, this is such a big deal in the Philadelphia theater community that I went to see a show at the Arden on Wednesday, a show that James had nothing to do with, but he's worked with a lot of the people there before. And they announced this before the show got a huge round of applause again for a show that he was not even involved in. They were just so excited about somebody from Philadelphia winning a Pulitzer Prize. 
I think that's awesome. That to me shows a great sign of unity and camaraderie in the Philadelphia theater scene. But I would argue, Sabrina, that this should be a big deal just for the city itself. Listen, if you want a point of pride, if you're from Philadelphia, you live here, point into this as a great city of culture and the arts, this is really big news. So I think it should be something celebrated citywide as well. But Justin Udo talked with James about this incredible honor and the show he won for, which is called Fat Ham. It's a black queer twist on Hamlet. And every week, if you listen to John Cast, we bring in Justin for an Udo haiku. So since we have you here, Justin, how is James feeling after finding out he won the Pulitzer? He's on cloud nine, to say the least. When he just got the news, he said, I felt all of the blood rushed out of my hands. I couldn't use my hands. I just sort of sat. I was in shock or like stupefied by it. It's just like a thing you don't expect to hear on a Monday. Yeah, of course. I don't think anyone ever expects to hear that they won a Pulitzer Prize. Right. But James is like a really big, he's done a lot of stuff around Philadelphia theater. Right now, he's co-artistic director at the Wilma. Fat Ham was actually developed through Azuka Theater and its New Pages Playwriting Group. It was first fully produced as a virtual show by the Wilma. So, Justin, what else has James been doing in the Philadelphia area? He, in addition to working at a lot of these theaters and writing a lot of plays that are going on here in Philly or going on in other parts of the country, he's also an associate professor at Villanova University. So he um he does stay busy. He's huge in that community, and he's big outside of it. And his show that won the prize is called Fat Ham, which is a twist on Hamlet. What did he tell you about that show? So Fat Ham is really, if you take that uh, ruling council, the king's court in Denmark from that Shakespearean play. I've essentially taken the story of Hamlet and the court of Denmark and moved it to a backyard in the south at a barbecue. And it's his take on it, and it's just been really well-received. And I mean, obviously, if you're winning a Pulitzer for it. So um, he was just really happy that uh, his vision was able to come to life, not only on the stage, but it was well-received by others. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what he is up to? I mean, where do you go from winning a Pulitzer Prize? Like, what's he doing next? Well, there's two big things. One is Fat Ham. It was actually picked up by the— public theater in New York. So it's going to have a short run there. It's not at the Wilma anymore, but it's going to be running through mid-June at the um, public theater there. So, And, you know, that's right off Broadway, which a lot of times can be the bigger step to something else. But he said in addition to that, he has multiple plays that he's writing for other um, companies and that he's putting together right now. And he's continuing his, he's co, he's the co-artistic uh, director at the Wilma. So he's continuing that work. And he has a show going on right now with Azuka Theater. It's called Reverie, playing at the Drake. I mean, people just seem to love James at about every theater company in the city. And with this award, I mean, understandably, Philadelphia is really, really proud of him. I think you're absolutely right, Sabrina. And it's great. That kind of leads into I was talking to him about just um, the influence Philadelphia has had on him because he's from North Carolina originally. Um, And he said just his formative years as an artist here in Philadelphia have really just been instrumental. They've been key in helping. He said the creativity that the theater scene has here has really given him a different lens than what he came into the city with. I was absolutely influenced by my time here, in particular, just working in the theater community. There's just such a wide variety of types of theater that you can experience in Philadelphia. 
I think all of that diversity of style, that diversity of taste just had a really big effect on me. So I came of age as an artist here. So like it's, it's been a place that's very important to my development as an artist. And one thing I asked him is, I know when I get awards or different things throughout my whole life, um, they usually don't stay in my house. They go to my mom's house. So I asked him where that Pulitzer was going to go. Was it going to be at Villanova or was it going home to his mom's China cabinet? <laughs> so um, he said he thinks he, he might send uh, the Pulitzer down to his mom and keep a replica one in the office. So that, that was a good one because I'm like, if anyone's mom's a little like mine, chances are they want to have that in the living room or dining room as a conversation piece to be able to brag on you. <laughs> I'm the same way, though. I have so much stuff, memories and stuff that's at my mom's house. And it's just like, that's where it's safe, where, you know, I'm not going to yes. move between other apartments or whatnot. It, it can just hang out there. And it's always good to go back home and reflect on yeah. how you've grown, even when you've grown. Yeah. And so this is part of what inspired your Udo haiku this week. Uh, what were you thinking about what was going through your head as you were writing about this story? I, I was thinking that, you know, as artists develop things, you know, everything has to start as a thought. And sometimes the biggest killer is ourself, is not letting those thoughts, those dreams out. But it was just really great that this man is getting his thoughts, his dreams out, and they're being received, they're being seen and they're being rewarded, his hard work, his perseverance. And as you said, he's been in this scene for a while in Philadelphia, and he's really been on the grindstone. So um, that's what really kind of came to my head and my mind when I um, wrote a haiku, an Udo haiku. So uh, I will read it now, and in true haiku form, I'll read twice. A thought brought to life, a dream shared with the masses, a prize to behold. A thought brought to life, a dream shared with the masses, a prize to behold, an Udo haiku. Beautiful. What a great tribute to a great playwright and a great person who represents the city of Philadelphia. Now, normally we'd also have Dave Uram in to talk about his sports fan of the week. And we'd probably talk about how the Sixers just plain went out sad last night against the Miami Heat. But Dave is getting married this weekend, so that's very happy. That's a good thing. Shout out to Dave. Congratulations on your upcoming nuptials. Now, you can always check out Dave's Sports Fan of the Week at kwnewsradio.com slash fans. And that'll do it for this week. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. Have a great weekend. Be safe out there. And much like the 76ers, we're out of here. We'll see you on Monday.